Alright, cool. Alright, if you have your Bibles, be turning to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Genesis chapter 11 is, oh, is where we're going to start. As, 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 as kind of hearing Blake's lesson and hearing Blake talk about just God's plan for unity, you can kind of see, and, and hopefully we were, impressed is the wrong word, but hopefully we were, in, you kind of sound like impressed, but impressed by what sin does to our relationships and what not following God's plan does to our relationships. I think that oftentimes we, we think about I mean, whether you serve God or don't serve God, I think oftentimes the idea is, well, it doesn't matter that much because it's just between me and who? It's just me and God. So it doesn't matter that much. You know, and, and as you kind of saw in Genesis 3 and Genesis, in Genesis 4 with, with Cain and Abel and then the rest of Cain's family, actually, we have to realize is that your sin and your, like you deciding to not obey God's plan or our decisions to not listen to God's plan and not follow what God wants for us, it has bigger implications than just you and God. It affects your relationship with everybody around you. Whether you want it to or not, that's the reality of what, of what sin does. And in and, and, and Blake's lesson, I just kept thinking about this idea that, that, that like, this unity isn't a product of, of God's plan. It isn't, this unity isn't even a product of God's mistakes. It's a product of ours. And whenever in our lives and in our relationships we find ourselves having broken relationships and we see that things aren't the way that they ought to be, uh, we have to realize and see that a lot of it is because I'm trying to do something that God doesn't really want me to be doing in my life or in this relationship. That there's something going on. There's, there's, some, there's some brokenness here that God doesn't want. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, if you have your, your, your heading title uh, over it, what does it say? All right, the Tower of Babel. What is the Tower of Babel? What was the Tower of Babel? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's this attempt that man was trying to build up to the heavens. It's almost almost like the idea is like they're trying to reach God uh, to glorify themselves. So let let's read Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9. And this is what I want you to see here. In Genesis 11, you have man's attempt to be unified outside of God's plan. Uh, and I want us to just discuss what's what was wrong with that. Uh, what God does to them to rectify the situation. And then where do we find real and true unity? Because Blake talked a lot about like God's plan was for and is for us to be united. Or where do we find that unity? So someone read Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. I had it right there. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east. They found a place in the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burned them thoroughly, and they used the brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all the same language, and this is what they have begun to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth 
And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. All right, so, so I just want us to think about this for a second here. In Genesis chapter 11, there is some things that people have in common, or some, some reasons that they would have unity, right? So I want you just to notice here, in Genesis 11, what would be some reasons or causes or similar reasons for unity here at the Tower of Babel? One language. Okay, everybody spoke, well, there's one language. I told you the penmanship was going to drop pretty soon. Uh, all right, so you have one language, uh, which, by the way, does it help if you can all understand what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, th think about it today. Uh, oftentimes, it's, it's harder to have unity. It's harder to have a relationship with somebody when you don't what? Speak their language because they're different, and the difference in languages causes this unity. But notice, it's not just that they spoke the same language. What else? Like, what other detail is given there? Yeah, that they spoke the same words. And I don't think that what, what the writer is doing here is I don't think he's trying to make you think that, like, I don't think he's being redundant in saying they spoke the same language and they spoke the same words. I think part of what's going on here is he's trying to help you understand how similar they were. Right? If, if you have somebody from, from, from Brooklyn uh, or from Jersey, if, if you ever heard anybody from New Jersey talk, uh, New Jersey, and they talk, they're talking to somebody from the middle of nowhere, Texas. Now, do they speak the same language? Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Speak. They both speak English, but do they speak the same words? No. Absolutely not. Uh, where, where I worship, I do a lot of interpreting into Spanish. Uh, Spanish is my native language. And I'll tell you, the, the hardest thing for me to do is translate from somebody who isn't from New York or Georgia. Because they're going to say some phrases and some words that I have no idea what they mean. You know, like if you're using some Kentucky phrases on me, you're going to lose me. <laughs> But here's, I think, the idea that we see in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, you have a group of people who all speak the same language, and they all have the same words. And I think that, that the idea here is that they are all exactly the same. You just imagine culturally, as far as like the society was concerned, they all said the same things, they all thought the same ways, they all kind of wanted the same things. And so in, in Genesis 11, again, at this Tower of Babel, you have everybody speaks one language, they have the same words. What else do you see here in Genesis 11? From the same place. They're from the same place. I mean, like, it, it, does it help if you're all from the same city in the same place? Mm -hmm. Why would it help? It's like you can, same experiences, like, yes. relate to each other. Yes. So let's just put one place here. Uh, so, yeah, so you have the same experiences. Uh, you, you, you know, you can talk about that time. Yeah, I remember when we ate at that pizza place at this. Like, there, there's all these commonalities. That, that you would have together. What else, what, what other onenesses do you see here at the Tower of Babel? So again, same language, same words. They come from the same place. Work. The same goal or the same work. And, and if you notice here in, in, in Genesis 11, uh, like what is the, the work or the, go, or the goal here? To build a tower. Yeah, let's build a tower up. Why? Yes, to have a name for ourselves. I want you to notice there's two things actually going on here uh, that both of them are wrong. Uh, so the first, the, the first one is the easier one to notice is that they want to build up a tower to the heavens. Can anybody notice the second one? This one's a little more obscure. You actually have like you have to have you have to be fresh in your Genesis nine knowledge <laughs> to know what's what's wrong here. They were. Um not wanting to be scattered. Yes. So in Genesis 9, after the flood, God tells Noah and his family, be fruitful, multiply, and do what? 
Yeah, and fill up the earth. Well, if I decide to not be scattered, to not fill up the earth, then am I disobeying God? Yes, and what are they, and how do they try to do it in Genesis 11? What do they decide they're going to do? Instead of filling the earth, we're going to do what? Live together. Live together and build a city. So I think the two, the two problems that you see in Genesis 11 is that you have a group of people uh, who want to find security in what? In themselves, in their commonalities, in the fact that we speak the same language and the same words and that we're from the same place and we have the same goal. And the goal is to build ourselves up. And, and, and what does God do in Genesis 11? He confuses your language. I, I want you to think about this uh, for a second. Th think about all the problems that, that we go through, particularly even living in this country where we try to be as diverse as we are. Think about all the issues and the problems that we go through. Uh, how, much, how many of those problems might be done away with if we all spoke the same language and the same words? Just, just speaking from a human, earthly point of view, what do y'all think? There'd be fewer arguments. Sure. Yeah. What else? Instruction and, and moving forward would be a lot easier because we would have a an ability to see what the other person is saying more clearly. Yeah. Whenever uh, Blake was asking about unity and, and some of the basis for unity, one of the things that Luke mentioned was communication. You'd be able to communicate with people. You know what I mean? You'd be able to know people's intentions. You'd, and, and you think about, but God confused the language. It, so, so is it that God doesn't want unity? Then why would God do this? Why would God confuse your, if he wants unity, if he wants people to be united and have a relationship, why confuse your languages, Robin? It seems here that the implication was that they gained some sort of power, some sort of illegitimate power, really. Yeah. So I want you to notice something interesting here. Uh, they're trying to build a tower up to get to heaven. Do you notice what God, like when it talks about God two separate times, what is God, what is God doing? Coming down. Coming down. I think the implication almost is they're trying to build a tower up, and even as high up as they build, they're never actually going to get anywhere in comparison to where God is. God has to come down to see what they're doing. I think well, God already saw what they were doing. Like He knew what they were doing. That's why, they, that's why God decides to come down. But I think the picture that Genesis is supposed to help you understand is that the people here were trying to build up and build a name for themselves. And you trying to build and you seeking for unity in anything that isn't God. This is going to be the premise here. That unity in anything that isn't God isn't real unity. Or it isn't satisfying you. That there's always going to, there's, there's going to end up being a breakdown. There's going to end up being some problems. you remember... In, in, in Genesis 4, what was the problem with Cain and Abel? Jealousy. Jealousy and rivalry. And Cain was mad that Abel was high, higher esteemed than him. Do you think that if maybe they seek to build a name up for themselves, do you think that maybe in, in that seeking to build up for themselves, somebody might be upset that I'm not higher esteemed than this person? And why, why don't I get looked at like this person? And so what, what can happen is I think sometimes there's this picture of God's just being mean and he's breaking it down. But I think what we, need, what we really need to see and understand, again, is that any unity that isn't centered on God and isn't focused on God isn't real unity. It isn't true unity. And the remedy for the Tower of Babel, you know what it is? Okay, so that's, that's God scatters them. So now, you know, if you think about it, it's the first century. You have all these people scattered. They all speak different languages. They all have different words. They're not from the same place. They have different works and goals. 
So what, how is God going to bring everybody back? What's the plan to bring everybody back? The cross. I want you to think about this for a second. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 here. Because I think as we look at the Tower of Babel, at the Tower of Babel you have separation, first of all from God, and then eventually from one another. God confuses their language. He spreads them all out with the foresight of uniting them in something greater and something lasting. And that greater lasting thing that God is seeking to unite people in will be the cross. So Ephesians chapter 2, someone read verses 13, or someone read from verses 10 to 14. Maite, I think you got this one. Yes, ma'am. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the, what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Read verse 15 as well. By abolishing the law of commandments of expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. All right, so think about this. Uh, at, at the Tower of Babel, you had people from different, again, people with the same language, the same words, the, from the same place, the same purposes, the same goals. And, but, but the problem in their unity is that their unity was centered in who? In themselves. Their unity was centered in them building a name for themselves. Their unity was centered in them seeking to have security in themselves. And, 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 if, and if you really have the force on you, you're able to think long, like just in the future, you, you'll see that, that that sort of thing doesn't work. Um, think about every and any nation, every, like every and any nation without God, that, that has sought to do that, to build a name for themselves, to make themselves great, to have security in themselves. Eventually, what has happened to every kingdom of the world? It's fallen. It's fallen. Everyone, like, it, it does, because that's what happens. But, but what Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 2 is that Paul is saying that, that in, in what do you find unity? In Jesus. In Jesus. And, and in what about Jesus? The cross. Like, yeah, the blood of Christ. You're united by the blood of Christ. So think about this for a second, right? So you have the Tower of Babel. I'm going to try to draw here. It's going to be terrible, but we're going to do it anyways. Uh, I'm just going to try to, well, I'm just going to make a building. Actually, saw that the structure was apparently like this, something like that. Uh, so you have the Tower of Babel, and you've got the cross, right? And, and in both instances, the key, here is a method. And by the way, the Tower of Babel, this thing that happened way back when, people still have Tower of Babels today. Things that they seek to try to find unity in today that never, that never bring real and true lasting unity. Then you've got the cross. So consider the Tower of Babel for a second. Again, what are some things that the, like, if you want to be united in the Tower of Babel, under the Tower of Babel, what are some things that you need to have? Some things we've already kind of mentioned. Same language. Okay, you need to have the same language. What else? Culture. Same, the same culture. I mean, culture, you've got to all be the same. Uh, what else? What'd you say? Build a name for yourself. Yes. You, it, it, under the Tower of Babel, if you want to be a part of this, 
you got to kind of think you're better than you actually are. Like there, there's, there's an arrogance factor to it. Um, so let, let's just call that a sense of pride. If, if, you, like, if you're, if you're going to find and if you're going to have unity under the Tower of Babel model. Uh, so you have the sense of pride. What else? Okay, same, same goals. What else? Experiences. You have to have the same experiences. I mean, if, if you're going to be a part of this, like, we have to know what we've all been through. And they've all got to be exactly the same. What else? You have to come from the same place and go to the same place. Yeah, okay, so we have the same culture there, but yeah, you have to want to go to the same place. Uh, so same, again, sameness in place. Think, and, and, and think about this here. As you think about the Tower of Babel today, or, or this Tower of Babel model today, like how does this show itself today? If we're being straight up. People want to be with people that are like them. Yes. Like if, if you've ever found yourself only wanting to be around people who are like you, whether, whether it's culturally we're exactly the same. Or, or, and by the way, the, the, not even just a language thing, but maybe think about it like pride-wise, a sense of pride. If you didn't go to the school that I went to, or if you don't make the kind of money that I make, or if you don't fill, it, fill in this, this hole in this box that I fit into, then we can't be together. Like if, if ever you're thinking that way, if ever you're talking that way, like that's the Tower of Babel thinking. That's Tower of Babel mentality, and that's not real unity. And the people that you think you're around, like there's a difference between being well-rounded and well-surrounded. <coughs> Like, some people just want to be well-surrounded. They want to be around people who are like them. Like, if you're well-surrounded, you will never grow. You think about the idea of being well-rounded uh, in a circle, what do you have? Differences. Yeah, differences. So if I'm over here in a circle, you know, you, you know where, you are, you, where you might be? On the other side of the circle. And the idea of being well-rounded is that you're going to have different people from different places. So think about the cross, right, and the unity that you might find in the cross. In the cross, uh, what kinds of people is the cross for? All people. All people, which implies what? What would all people imply? Different languages. People from different languages. So, I mean, so you think about this. Uh, let's just do this. Does anybody here speak a different language other than English? Is the cross just for people who speak English? I would hope not. Like my first language is Spanish. The cross is for everybody. And as you think about the cross and the people that the cross can come to, which by the way, if the cross were just for people who spoke the same language, you know what it would actually mean for you if you spoke English? It wouldn't be for you. Because you're not living in the first century speaking the language that they spoke. It wouldn't have been for you. And think about how serious God is about this. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the very first gift he gives to man is what? The ability to speak in tongues. And with what purpose? So that they would communicate and spread the good news to people. And so in the, at the cross, what you find is it doesn't matter the language that you speak. The cross is for people of different languages. And so you're going to be able to bring more people in. Keep thinking about some other things. What, about, what, what are some other things that, or some other types of people that the cross is for? The humble. Yeah, okay, well, we're going to pump the brakes. <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet. From different places. Yes, people from different places. And as, as you think about this, in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, Jesus is giving, like, so at the end of Mark, the end of Luke, and the end of Matthew, or the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you have the Great Commission in three out of the four Gospels. Uh, and Jesus says to go where? All the earth. To all the earth. And bring, so it's not just, hey, 
go talk to people who are in your city, whether they speak the same language as you or not. But no, all the people that were scattered off, you know God's plan to bring them back in. You know what it was in? In the cross of Jesus. And so you find people from all places and all cultures, and you bring them in. So the cross is for people of different places and cultures. Uh, all right, Sandy, what were you saying about the cross? Yeah, to, to, like, you know what one, one of the biggest qualifications is to, to find unity in here? Is you've got to be humble. Like, the, the Tower of Babel was completely centered on human pride. The cross of Jesus is completely centered on human humility. Like, unless you realize that in here, this isn't about you being great, this is about God being great, and you making the name great for the Lord. Like, unless that's the mentality here, like, you're never going to be unified. The way, that you, the way that you should be, the way that you could be. Uh, so you have humility here. It, it, at the cross, do we have the same goals? Yes. Well, but, go ahead. I mean, like, our physical, earthly goals may all be different. Okay, but, that's but a good the, point. But our, like, main goal, like, my goal may be to make, you know, I need a better job, or, you know what I mean? But our main goal, the one, that we, <laughs> the one that we focus on is, is heaven. Okay. Well, so... so I guess the difference would be like, I'm not wanting you to have my goal so we can have the same goal. Yeah. Okay, it's not, it's not so my goal. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, during the next portion here. But but there's this picture here. There's this idea here that like when it comes to the cross, well, we'll get to that. Like, you're ruining me. <laughs> so like your physical goals may be different. Okay, so so maybe different physical same. goals. Sure. Uh, so different di di different earthly goals. Okay, what about your experiences? To come to Jesus, do you all need to like did you all need to have experience to experience the same exact things? No. No. When you came to Jesus, did you all have to come from the same exact place? And what you notice is Jesus was planning this uh, even before he came. If you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of like images and pictures about what you do when foreigners come and integrating foreigners into what's going on. But but consider for a second the twelve apostles. Uh, who were the twelve apostles? Just name the first one that comes up to your mind. Okay, Peter. All right, so you got Peter. What was Peter's job? Somebody mentioned it. He was a fisherman. Think about Peter's personality. What was his personality like? Brash and outspoken. What did you say, Ben? You said he was dumb. Okay, he was dumb. <laughs> That's true. Impetuous. You think about it. in Peter, you have somebody who's, who's always putting his foot in his mouth, and like you have a very specific personality. And think about somebody like Thomas. What was Thomas like? Timid and doubtful. And could you imagine Peter and Thomas in the same room? And Jesus is talking about plans. What, what would Peter have been like? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's do go. it. It's going to be great. And then you have guys like Thomas who would have been like what? I don't think we should be doing this. Like, this is bad. This is right. We're going to die here. But, but what you find, but what you find is that in Jesus, like Jesus purposefully chose people who were different because if all he chose were fishermen, then to come to the cross, you've got to be a fisherman. We don't, think, about, think about a few others here. Uh, you, what's the first gospel? Matthew. What was Matthew's, what was Matthew's occupation? He was a tax collector. There was another guy, another apostle. Can you name another apostle for me? Simon. Simon. What was Simon? He was a zealot. He was a zealot. What, what, that's fancy talk. Give it to me in modern day terms. Oh, he was a 
become cultural revolutionary. Yeah, or less, huh? Insurrection. Yeah, he was an insurrectionist. So you think about it, you have one guy who cares more than anything else about his country and doing and, 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 and obtaining physical freedom for his country, and another guy who literally works for the enemy. Jesus chooses them both. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm serious, could you imagine like those conversations as Jesus is talking about a kingdom? Like what they each might have, might have been saying to each other. But, but I, I think Jesus, again, he has the foresight that whenever he's thinking about the kingdom, whenever he's thinking about the cross and what the cross is able to do, there is a unity that your culture doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. The language you speak doesn't matter because in the cross of Jesus, we find true unity. Think about for a second, and I wasn't sure how long I was supposed to go, but I've been going for 25 minutes, so we've got a little time. Uh, think about the book of Acts uh, for a second. Consider some of the things here in the book of Acts. Uh, I want you to think about the people who are converted in the book of Acts. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the chapters, and I'm going to let you guys fill in the blanks for me, as opposed to giving you all the people. And then, All right, so you have Acts 2, and I'm just going to give them to you the way that I want to give them to you. So I may not give you every case, every case study. But you have Acts 2. Uh, you have Acts 8. Uh, you have Acts 9. Acts 10. <coughs> Acts 16, 13 first. You have Acts 16. What else do I have here? 18, 16, 17, 18. 2 and 18, by the way. And then 19. Okay. Acts 16, 17. 18, 18, I was writing an 8 there as opposed to an S, and then 19. All right, just consider for a second the people who are converted to Christ throughout the book of Acts, which by the way, just, just, for, a rec and just for record here, again, in, in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends, what does he tell the apostles? What are they going to be doing? Okay, you're going to stay here until the Spirit comes, and then you will go and be my witnesses or testify about me where? Judea. Okay, Jerusalem, Jerusalem first, then all of Judea, Samaria, and even up to the, all the remotest parts of the earth. So if you think about it like this, it started where it was in Jerusalem, went to Judea, went to Samaria, then it went everywhere. So just kind of picture it like that. But in Acts chapter 2, who comes to the, who comes to the gospel? The Jews. And in Acts 2, you're at the 3,000. Um, but, but think about this. What were these Jews like? Why were these Jews in Jerusalem in the first place? They were there for the Passover. Yeah, for the, pa or for, or for the day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost. Which, which, well, it's all. They were there for their religious customs. Um, were, were these probably religious people? My guess is probably. If, if they traveled to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And by the way, they're all what? They're all Jews. So if, if all you had was Acts chapter 2, then what might you think? That I've got to be a religious Jew and somehow find myself in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost to be a Christian. Oh, but then you get the next story. In Acts chapter 8, what do you find in Acts 8? The Ethiopian. Yes. In Acts 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, what do you know about this guy? Now, now, there are some similarities between him and the, and the, and the 3,000 Jews. The Ethiopian eunuch was where? In Jerusalem. Well, in, he was in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem. So you just imagine, he was trying to be Jewish and follow some of these Jewish customs, 
but you also have a, few you have a different detail now. What do you find about him? Like, what do you, what's his, the description given to him? He is a, he's a eunuch, and he's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Now, he's probably a proselyte. Uh, he's either a proselyte or he's a Jew who's living in Ethiopia, but my guess is he's probably a proselyte Jew. Um, but here, like now you have a guy who's an Ethiopian eunuch, and, and by the way, where, like, where did he get saved? Was it in Jerusalem? No, no it was like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, more like on the, wasn't he on the road? Yeah. Yeah. So like you have this, this guy who comes to the gospel. Well, the next one in Acts chapter 9, who do you find? Yeah, Saul or Paul. And what do you know about, Saul, which, oh, sorry. And the Ethiopian eunuch, was he like trying to seek God and do the right thing? Yeah, he was reading from Isaiah on this way, on the ride home. You know, then you have in Acts 9, you have Saul or Paul. What do you know about Saul and Paul? Or Saul or Paul, same person. Okay, he was a Pharisee. But he was seeking to persecute God's people. And so, like, maybe these people were probably good, decent people. This guy seems like a good guy. This dude, like, if I'm a Christian, this dude is terrible. Like, he is the worst of the worst. In fact, that's how he talks about himself. But guess what? The gospel is for who? Or the cross is for who? The cross can bring people like him inside as well. In Acts chapter 10, who's the, what's the next conversion story? Cornelius. Cornelius. And now in Cornelius, what do you have? Gentile. Yeah, in Cornelius you have a Gentile who, who doesn't seem to be following Jewish customs and traditions. But now, even with Cornelius, what kind of person is he? He's a God-fearing, seeking, seeking God. He is a good man for all intents and purposes. Like he is just a good dude. But, but here, you, like now there's a shift. So now it's not you so much need to be a Jew to come to God. Now you've got to be somebody who's seeking God to come to God. And the cross now, or the, the, this unity of the cross, isn't just for Jews or for people trying to be Jews or for Pharisees of Pharisees. It's also for guys like Cornelius, for Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, who's the next person that you see here? Or what's the next group of people that you see here being converted? Okay, in Acts chapter 13, yes, you have the pro-council. Which, by the way, who was the, like, what was the pro-council? Yes, so... Now you have a governor, this high person, who gets converted because he sees some miracles or he sees some signs. As far as we're concerned, the way that Acts 13 reads, it doesn't read like he was seeking God the way that everybody else was. It also doesn't read like he was so pious the way that everybody else was. Now for the first, I mean, it seems like in Acts 13, like the way that Acts reads, you have this guy who it seems like for the first guy, this is just a regular Gentile dude um, coming to God. But, but he is a highly esteemed person. Like he isn't like some nobody who's coming to God. So well, well maybe the picture is I've got to be important if I'm going to come to God. Because Cornelius was important. So was Saul and Paul. So was the, like, the, Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch. It, the fact that he was a eunuch would have implied that he was working for who? For the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, and then you've got these 3,000 Jews. Well, they're different because they're all Jewish or so they're spiritually important people. You get to Acts 16, and in Acts 16, you have two conversion stories. Who do you have? Lydia. Lydia, and then, and then who? Philippian the Philippian jailer. And I want you to notice, there's two here, but they're, like, these two are really important. Um, I'm going to call him PJ, the Philippian jailer. <laughs> With Lydia, we're like, why is Lydia's story important? She's a woman. She's a woman. Like, and, and I don't mean that in a sexist way, but like, so far in the book of Acts, you've mostly been like, you know that women have been coming to the Lord. 
But here's the first story where you have like Paul is just with women and the gospel is just as much for them. The cross is just as much for them as it is for the rest of the guys. And here this woman comes and she gets to be a part of the good. She gets to be a part of this unity that everybody else is having is, is sharing in. Then you have PJ, our boy PJ here. And, and what was he? Yeah, he's a jailer who is about to do what actually? He's about to take his life. Well, Lydia, she's a Jewish woman. She's got some importance. She, I mean, she brings some value. The Philippian jailer, if you're Paul, what value was he bringing to your life? He was guarding. He was guarding, yeah, but so not much value. He was making your life more difficult than it needed to be. And you just imagine, like, here you have a guy who's about to take his life. Is the gospel for people who, who seem like they have no hope and they, they want to take their lives? It's just as much for them as it is for people like Lydia and for the pro council. You see the point that I'm trying to make here, and I'm sorry for like, I don't want to be beating a dead horse here. Um, but it, the, the, the point that I'm trying to drive home here is that as you go through the book of Acts and you go through the conversion stories in the book of Acts, the people who come to the cross, it's everybody. From all places, from all languages, from all backgrounds. And whenever they were together, how does the book of Acts describe, describe Christians being together? They had all things in common. They were of one accord. No one was lacking anything. What does that sound like to you? What, what would be another word? They were what? Unified. They were united and unified. But what was uniting them? Jesus Christ. Yes. And so in, in, in Acts 17, just so that you know, you have uh, Doinsinus, I can't pronounce his name, and Demaris, I can say her name. In Acts 18, you have Crispus, who's a synagogue ruler. In Acts 8, also 18, you have the conversion of Apollos. In 19, you have the 25 disciples of John. And so again, we've already kind of talked about this, so we're not going to hit this too, too hard here. But you think about who the gospel attracts and what the who the gospel is for. It's for everybody, of all places, of all languages. And, 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 and who you are or who you were doesn't matter as you, come to, as you seek to come to God. Like how much you make, that doesn't matter. What your background is, it doesn't matter. Your education, that doesn't matter. None of that matters here. Um, because we're not seeking to be united under the tower. We're seeking to be united under the cross. And so as you think about the cross and some lessons, this is the, the last bit here. Um, what are some lessons that I learned or some lessons that we could learn about being united um, in the cross and what the cross does for us? Remember when we were talking about disunity, what creates disunity? Sin does. But what does the cross offer you? And offer every person. Reconciliation. Reconciliation and what else? Forgiveness. If, if the, the root of this unity is sin, the cross of Jesus Christ removes the sin. And I think that's part of the reason why we're able to start to have this relationship with one another again. And while it's part of the reason why we're able to have oneness in one another. That, that, that's Paul's point in Ephesians 2, 13 and, 13 and 14, that Jesus tore down the wall of hostility the enmity that we had between another, the, the, the thinking fleshly, he got rid of that. And so now, like the sin that I previously had in my life, that's gone. And so we're able, we're able to have this unity. Um, think about another lesson about why the cross and why do we find unity in the cross. So the first lesson is because of the forgiveness that the cross offers us and other people. Uh, I think the second lesson is you, you think about the cross. At the cross, what do you see? What, like, what would you have seen? Physically, like just suffering. suffering. 
What else? Death. Death. Like at the cross, you would have seen a man stripped of everything he had. A man uh, probably beaten so bad that it would have been pretty hard to really fully distinguish him as a human being. Uh, at the cross, you, you, people weren't thinking race. They weren't thinking languages. Like they were looking and seeing disgust. Like that's, that's what you would have seen at the cross. And uh, sometimes we seek to beautify the cross. Like the cross was not beautiful. It was horrific. It was a terrible thing. And I think part of the reason why we need to understand that that happened, and part of the reason, and, and the way that this helps us, is that if what unites us was a man being crucified, if what unites us is a man bleeding out to death and suffocating to death, if that's what unites us, uh, who am I to judge somebody else according to the flesh? Like, do I have any, any excuse or any reason to look at you fleshy or look at you for who you are? I mean, look at you physically for where you are and what you look like. Remember, what is it that unites us? Was a man being completely destroyed? So why do we seek to look at people and judge people by fleshly and earthly ways? You, you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's counterintuitive to what you find in the cross of Jesus Christ. I also think that, that at the cross... Uh, and if you read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul talks about this is, if you're going to have unity, this is what you need to have. And he says things like humility and meekness and gentleness and, and uh, tolerating one another in love. Like he says, if you're going to have unity, these are the things you need to have. Well, what's the, the, the best example you've ever seen of, of humility and, and power under control, meekness or gentleness or tolerating people's sins in love? Where, and, and particularly where? On the cross. So how does the cross help us be united to one another? The cross shows you what it's like to be humble for the sake of unity. The cross shows you what it's like to be meek for the sake of unity. The cross shows you what it's like to be gentle for the sake of unity. The cross shows you how to tolerate people in love for the sake of unity. Like, so why the cross? And why is it that we find this unity in the cross? It's for these things. But the last one, you know, why the cross? Why would God use this as a way to unite us. I think it's because the cross allows us to change our identity. And that, that has got to be the, the, the biggest thing. If, if you take anything with you today, if you take any lesson with you today, is that the reason why we're able to be one, the reason why we're able to have unity, the reason why we're able to have these conversations, it's because this is what Jesus does on the cross. Whenever Paul is writing to churches in the New Testament, there, there was a struggle. And you know what the struggle was? Think about the book of Galatians, the book of, 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 of 1 Corinthians, and in 2 Corinthians as well, and in Colossians, and a lot of the books in the New Testament, you know what Paul is dealing with? Anybody want to take a guess? Division. What? Divisions. Divisions. And, and, and what the division between what two groups of people? Even in Ephesians, actually. Jews and Gentiles. Jews and, Gentiles. and what were the Jews trying to do? Make the Gentiles be like them. Yes. If you want to be more Jewish... You have to be, I'm sorry, if you want to be more Christian, you have to have more Jewish culture. Let me tell you something. Um, a lot of the New Testament is Paul trying to knock that out. And the reason why is because in, in passages like Colossians 3 and Galatians 2, the reason why is because Paul is trying to help the people understand that because you are in Christ now, because of the cross of Jesus, you have a new identity. Actually, in every book that Paul talks about the division, he talks about this new identity that you have in the cross. Um, but I think the big point that, 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 you have, that we have to take home with us is, is that in the cross you have a new identity. 
And so here there is neither slave nor free, Greek nor Scythian, barbarian. Like for Christ is all and in all. Or let's, let's 2019 it for us. Uh, here there is neither black nor white. There isn't Hispanic or Asian. There isn't rich or poor. Like here, Christ is all and in all. And, and the reason why um, people struggle with, with prejudices, whether it's a racial prejudice or a social prejudice or a socioeconomic prejudice or a political prejudice, whatever the prejudices are, and they're everywhere, the reason why we struggle with that um, is because we have an identity problem. You think about this. If, if you will view people, and this is for every person, you will view people uh, on the basis of how you value yourself. And so if you find value in your culture, and that's like the greatest and most important thing, then how are you going to view people? Through the, lens of your culture. Through the lens of your culture. And whether they have that culture or not. If, the most, if, if, if you see value in yourself in, in monetary stuff, and how much money you have or don't have, um, then how will you view every other person? Through how much money they have. If for you, it's, it's education, and I went to this school, or I've got these, these many degrees. If that's how you view yourself, then how will you view every other person? How educated they are. If for you, you find value in your skin complexion, then how will you view every other person? By their skin complexion. And the reason why there's so much disunity, the reason why there's so, they're, they're, we, we don't get along with it, it's because people view stuff that way. But notice, like, just notice a, a, a foundational point of the cross, a foundational point of, of Christianity, is that in the cross, God wants you to stop thinking that way. He wants you to stop regarding people that way. And if I can view my identity and I can view my purpose and my, me as a person, as, as what, first and foremost? As a Christian, as a soul redeemed by God, then how will I view every other person? As a soul that either is has been redeemed or needs to be redeemed by God. I got you in a second, Robert. And so that, that will change your relationships with people. I, I promise you that it will. Because that's what the gospel does. And our challenge is to stop viewing ourselves with this. And start viewing like with this. So open up the eyes of your heart um, to see people the way God sees them. And, and really, it, it starts with you seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And until that happens, if, if, again, if, if all you're going to do is see people physically for their physical appearance, it's because you find way too much value in your physical appearance, or you put too much stock in that. And so you want a good way to know, um, am I, like, what are the prejudices in my life? What do I struggle with? Now think about how you view people. And I guarantee you that you view yourself and find value in yourself that way. Like, that, that, that's not a separate thing. Like, there's a one and one in that. So view yourself as a Christian. And I promise you, it will change your relationships with people. Robert? I just want to mention that when you were talking about the different chapters, mm -hmm. you didn't mention it, I think, because it wasn't an actual conversion. But really, the first place that, that they went was Samaria. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. In Acts 8. Yeah, it was Samaria. And there was a deep ethnic uh, animosity mm -hmm. going on between the Jews and Samaria. Yeah, and, and, and you just imagine the challenges that would have been posed there. Well, as long as as long as we view people and tell people you got to get circumcised, if you know if you're a Jew living in the first century, like all you're doing is converting people to you and to your culture. 
We don't want people to be American Christians. We want people to be Christian Christians. You know what I mean? I don't want people to be in, you know, disciples of Intown or disciples of Embry Hills or disciples of wherever it is that you go. That's not the purpose. Encourage people to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we're able to be together and have this unity that we all really want. Because we want this. We want this unity. We have to realize that it only comes in the cross, though. Thank you all for y'all's comments and attention. Um, we're going to take another break. And, uh, and then we will have like a short little Q&A. But I'm, I'm assuming y'all probably don't. Like if you don't have questions written down, I'm going to fold some questions up to y'all. And then we can discuss them. And a lot of it will be more, like, so this was supposed to be more gener general and generic. I want us to get a little more specific on how we deal with different types of people in different places and in, from different cultures.